Well, tonight we're going to look at Mark chapter 7, beginning at verse 24, and this is just a, this is one of those either hit you in the gut or really build you up passages of Scripture, and I hope that when the message is over, you'll all see it should build you up, but it could hit you pretty tough when you look at this, because this is about a mom who would not let go of the dream, the vision, the passion, the prayer request that she had. It's also about Jesus' love and his compassion for humanity, but it's one of the most disturbing things that Jesus said. How many of you already read the passage tonight? Okay, a couple of you have. It's one of the most disturbing things that Jesus said, and by, by now, those of you that read it, you're probably going, I can't believe Jesus even talked like that to someone. But I hope to help you see tonight that Jesus is really drawing out her faith. Somebody said it takes about six weeks to get back to normal after you've had a baby. Talking about a mother. And the person that said that doesn't realize that there will never be normal for a woman again once she's had a baby. Somebody once said you learn how to be a mother by instinct. That somebody never took a three-year-old shopping. Somebody once said, being a mother is boring. That somebody never rode in a car with a teenage driver and a learner's permit. Somebody said, you don't need to be in education to be a mother. Somebody never helped a fourth grader with their math. Somebody said, you can't love the fifth child as much as you love the first. Somebody doesn't have five children. And somebody said, the hardest part of being a mother is labor and delivery. And somebody has never watched their baby get on the bus for the first time to go to school. And somebody says, your mother knows you love her, so you don't need to tell her somebody isn't a mother. So if your mother's living tonight, go home and call her, because the reason I read that is I have often said, heaven is going to be populated by a lot of people whose mothers never gave up on prayer for them, whose mothers and fathers prayed for them and interceded for them and would not let them go. As a matter of fact, almost weekly, one of the men here tells us about the faith of his mother and how she prayed for him and what God did in his life. And the power of your prayers as a parent is incredibly amazing. Let's look at Mark chapter 7, verse 24 tonight. Jesus left Galilee, and he went into the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. Well, first of all, how many of you know even Jesus needed to rest sometime? He needed to pull away. Second thing I want you to see is where he went to. He left Israel, and he went to Tyre. This is in the land of the Gentiles. This is in the land of unclean folks, as the Jews thought about them. Tyre was the enemy, the sworn enemy of Israel. Josephus wrote about what horrible enemies they were, that they were even worse than Babylon and worse than uh, Egypt, is how Josephus referred to Tyre. There was a time, and this is important for us to understand our cultural context, there was a time when Tyre was on very good relationships with Israel. It was Hiram that sent all of the the building materials, the timber to build the temple with. And David and Hiram had a very good relationship that passed on to his son Solomon as well. David had a powerful influence on Tyre, but eventually, because Israel wandered away from her faith, and we talked about this Sunday morning, how it's important that we stay close to the cross. Israel wandered from her faith. Tyre went further from her faith. And eventually, Tyre's king would pronounce himself a god 
it was a very dangerous place. There was a lot of animosity, a lot of racism between the two countries. And so you don't want to miss that when Jesus goes to Tyre. And you don't want to miss that because it has a lot to do with the story about this woman. Well, right away, a woman, she is from this land, so she's probably wealthy. She's probably a person that's heard about Jesus, but she's been raised in a godless community. She heard about him and came and fell at her, his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit, and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. You might want to write this out to the side, that circle the word daughter, because this particular Greek word means her precious daughter. I mean, we don't know if it's a little girl. We don't know if it's a grown daughter. But this daughter was very precious to her. So we don't really pick that up in our English translations. But since she was a Gentile, born in Syria, Phoenicia, she's got to be wondering. Others have got to be wondering, will Jesus be as kind to her? Will Jesus be as gracious to her? I mean, this is the setup of this story. So it's why I ask you, never rush through your Bible. It's better to read a few verses and think about them and pray about them than just try to rush through to get so many chapters done a day. Is Jesus going to be as kind and gracious to her as he was to the other outcast of Israel? And Jesus told her, first, I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Don't miss that. That's a pretty shocking statement right there. That's a very terse statement right there. And she replied, that's true, Lord, but even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps that fall from the children's plates. Good answer, he said. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. And when she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in bed, and the demon was gone. Now, I'm not going to have time to talk about demonology tonight, but let me just say this real quickly. It's real popular in some circles for people to say there aren't any such things as angels and demons. The Bible completely dispels that myth that people believe in. As a matter of fact, right now in the last few years, there's been a rising study both professionally and academically because we're recognizing there are powers of evil powers at work in the world. And I know I'm not quoting it correctly, but I remember reading in Hamlet where he said one time, there are more things in heaven and earth than what your philosophy allows for. And so I just want you to know this is not myth. This is not superstition. Jesus really did set this little girl free from a demonic oppression or demonic possession in her life. So when I look at this tonight, there's several things that come to my mind. First of all, the scriptures kind of indicate that Jesus was silent. He went to rest. He went to be quiet. He didn't want to be disturbed. He didn't want anybody to know where he was eating at. Today, a man came up to me. We had guests Monday night that we took out to dinner. And he came up to me and says, Oh, Pastor Clant, I, I saw you at such and such restaurant, and I really wanted to come up and talk to you. But, you know, you were in the... There were suits, y'all were sitting in suits, and he said, I really wanted to talk to you, but I just felt like you were too busy. And I said, never feel that way. If I don't want you to catch me, there are a couple of restaurants that I don't tell anybody about that I take my, my wife to to eat at. And that's typically when I want to hold her hand and kiss her while we're eating, you know. And he had a good laugh off of that. But sometimes Jesus is silent. Sometimes Jesus is quiet. And a fascinating study for you later might be to just search the word on the silence, uh, the phrase, the silence of God, and look at the times when Jesus was silent. 
The Bible says this, she begged him repeatedly. The Greek word there, if you'll look at uh, verse 26, the Greek word that I just read to you out of the New Living Translation says that she's, if you'll look here on the screen, you'll see it, she's begging him repeatedly. Jesus is not answering her at first. This is not one ask, Jesus, please heal my daughter. Jesus just keeps moving. Jesus just, he's there to rest. And she will not let go. Remember one time, Martha and Mary sent for Jesus because Lazarus was sick. And the Bible says in John chapter 11 and verse 6 that Jesus stayed where he was for the next two days. He was just silent. He didn't say anything to the disciples. He didn't say anything to Mary and Martha. He just, he just took his time. And sometimes when Jesus is silent, what he's doing is he's pulling out of us greater faith. And the problem that I think so often happens, Oswald Chambers addressed in his October 11th devotional in the little book, My Utmost for His Highest, and I put that in your outline tonight. God will give you the blessings you ask if you will not go any further without them. But his silence is the sign that he's bringing you into a marvelous understanding of himself. So when God is silent, God is letting you learn more about him, you could be on the cusp of a greater miracle. And I hope to show you that later on in this message tonight. The second thing I want you to see is that Jesus prioritizes. Jesus prioritizes. In other words, Jesus has a plan. Jesus has an order. Jesus has a way that he's going to do things. Look at verse 27. Jesus told her first, circle that word first, First, I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Jesus often said he was sent to the house of Israel. As a matter of fact, Paul would later say to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And so there is a priority and there's an order that Jesus is working with. Sometimes in our lives, there are things happening that we're not really fully aware of and God has an order that he's taking us through. If you're a weightlifter, and obviously I'm not, but if you're a weightlifter, I'm sure you don't start off, you know, with 100 pounds. You start off with something you can handle, and you build up, and you build up. If you're going to do a diet like Keith did or a lifestyle change like Keith did to lose 85 pounds, you take it in small baby steps. I have a friend that is in tremendous shape just simply because he decided that three days a week he was going to work out and he totally turned his health around because three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, without fail, he spends one hour working out and he was dying and now he's healthy. But he started out small. Sometimes there are things going on in our life that we may not understand. Remember, I told you all this background for a reason. She comes from a godless city. She comes from a wicked city. She is considered unclean by the Jews. It wasn't that God considered them unclean. That's important. You may want to write that down in your outline. God did not consider them unclean, but the Jews considered them unclean. And so that has a lot to do. He's going to pull her out. And she's probably a wealthy woman, being from Tyre. Tyre was a very wealthy city. And so he's bringing her to a place both attitudinally, attitudinally and her character as well. And Jesus still works that same way in all of us. Third thing I want you to see is come to Jesus humbly and you'll leave with a miracle. 
Come to Jesus humbly and you'll leave with a miracle. I used to be so shocked back in the day of when there was some extreme teaching on healing and on, on prosperity, how people would talk about demanding things from God. Go to God and stand on the words. You demand what God has said, you know, and this was somehow or another pleasing God. We have no right to demand anything of God. But we have a right to come persistently. We have a right to come humbly. We have a right to plead our case before the Lord, but not demand anything. D.L. Moody once said, Jesus sent no one away empty except for the proud. Jesus sent no one away empty except for the proud or those that were full of themselves. So Jesus looks at her after he says, you know, what he does about the dogs she said, that's true, Lord, but even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plate. Good answer, he said. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. Now, several things I want you to notice here. This word, dog, is more like a family pet. But don't take that and go, oh, that's all right. Jesus is calling her a pet. This is a stinging statement. <laughs> Say that with me stinging statement. I mean, I really wanted to get something to help you understand. Don't call me a dog, you know. I, that, you don't want to be called a dog. You don't want to be called something derogatory. You know, you don't want to be anybody's lap pet or anything like that. Dogs were unclean animals in the law, but God never was considering the Jews, the, the Gentiles to be unclean. But he's challenging her and hitting her with what the Jewish people, because she probably thought this is what Jesus thought about her. And so there is a real sting to this statement when he says to her, you know, I can't give what's meant for the children to the dogs. There's several things I want you to see here. Number one, this woman believed that Jesus was able to heal all manners of diseases. She also believed that Jesus was able to deliver people from demonic possession. Remember, she had heard about him. Second thing I want you to see is she's continually begging. I mean, she's following Jesus. She is not going to let go. She is not going to give up. That's a mother's faith. She is not going to let go of God. And when Jesus referred to her as a dog, whether it's a pet, it wasn't the word for scavenger dogs. I'll, I'll give you that. It's still a stinging statement. When he referred to her as a dog, she refused to be insulted by that. She refused to let her pride be pricked. Instead, she just simply said to, the, to herself, she says, you know what? Even the dogs get to eat what comes under the table. And what I see her doing here, and I want you to listen, she is not going to let what Jesus says to her cause her to be hopeless. If you'd have said that to most Christians today, they would have given up. Because I can't tell you how many times people say, well, I prayed about it for a month and nothing happened, so I just, evidently, it's not God's will. Sometimes people say to me, well, you know, Pastor, I, I prayed and I fasted about this for a year. It's not God's will. Tonight, there's a lady in our church sitting by her husband's bedside reading scriptures to him that's been, he's been there for three years in a coma, and she will not give up. As I was reading this, I just kept thinking about Mary, how she will, will not give up. Her faith was not even hindered by the fact that 
it sounds like Jesus is saying she's not worthy. Back when we used to do street meetings in Savannah, Georgia during the um, uh, St. Patrick's Day festivities and events, and a lot of times people would stumble out of bars and they would want to mock, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, and that sort of thing. And you just love people. You don't criticize them. You know, you just you keep loving, you keep preaching. You see folks that got saved. But the fact was, what they were saying in their mocking was, I am worthy. I am worthy. What they were saying in their mocking was what they thought maybe we were saying, but we weren't saying that they were not worthy. However, none of us are worthy of the blood of Jesus. But Jesus is more than willing to give to people who come to him, not based upon their goodness, not based upon their works, not based upon their holiness, but based solely on his grace, his goodness, and his mercy. So she was depending not on her goodness, but she was depending upon the goodness of God. And what you see here is a faith that can't be quenched. What you're seeing here is a fire in her heart that cannot be quenched. How many times has somebody just, something's been said to somebody and they've gotten bitter about it? Love has been quenched. Faith has been quenched. Passion has been quenched. Friendships have been quenched. Jobs have been lost because somebody got angry or fearful and they let something say destroy their faith. When you're praying, when I'm praying, when we gather on Saturday night in our Facebook prayer group, we're talking to a friend. Do you not remember that old song we used to sing? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our burdens to carry. Listen, you're talking to someone that doesn't look at you as a dog. The world may look down upon Christians, but Jesus looks at you as a friend. Look with me tonight at what Bernard of Clairvaux, Clairvaux said. It's only when humility warrants it that great graces can be obtained. In other words, humility is able to lay hold of the great grace of God, not demanding what my rights are before the Lord, but humility. And so when you perceive that you're being humiliated, look on it as the sign of a sure guarantee that grace is on the way. Just as the heart is puffed up with pride before its destruction, so it is humiliated before being honored. It is the possession of a joyful and genuine humility that alone enables us to receive grace. What he's saying there, and listen real carefully, when he's talking about humiliated, there are things at times that may humiliate you. You feel humiliated by your loss of a job. There's nothing that will touch a man quicker at the core than to lose his job. There's nothing that will touch a man quicker at the core than for his finances to go belly up because you know, from, from our earliest days, we thought, saw ourselves and wanted to be providers and, good, and provide for our families well. There's nothing that will touch a woman's heart and, and quench her faith and destroy her than, than maybe her, her husband to leave her, her children to turn upon her, especially after she's loved them and nursed them and raised them. And what happens is when we go through those humiliating times, we don't get angry at God. We don't get angry at the people who humiliate us. Instead, we stay before the Lord and we're like this woman. I refuse to give up. Can you say amen to that? Amen. I refuse to give up. Can you think of another story in the Bible that's similar to that? Remember the story that Jesus told of a widow that would not stop bugging the judge until she got what it was? 
he wasn't calling Jesus, he wasn't calling the Father in heaven an unjust judge. He was just showing us the power of prayer. I love what Augustine said. Pride changes angels into devils, is what St. Augustine said. And of course, the reason he said that is that's what caused the fall of Satan. And then fourthly tonight, Jesus can heal and deliver everyone. Jesus can heal and deliver everyone. There's not a single disease. Just take you a little bit further. Last week, <clears throat> I was praying for Craig, and just, you know, this Craig and Mary, we were talking about just a moment ago. I was praying for Craig and just asking the Lord to wake him up. God, do a work in his life. And after I got done with my devotions and praying that morning, I do like I often do, you know, after I journaled, I pulled up and just scanned the news. And on my news feed, one of the first things that I saw was man wakes up after a 13-year-old, after a 13-year coma in Germany. And I was blown away. Restored to his wife, restored to his, his mind's completely healthy, his mind's completely whole. He's just missing 13 years. And for him, it should be this date 13 years ago, but now he's awake, he's awake. Who can, who can fathom those sorts of things? There's no brain damage. He's, he's got to go through some therapy, occupational therapy. Get a, I mean, for your muscle, muscles atrophy, your skeleton, your organs get weaker. But he woke up out, and I know that wasn't accidental. And so we hang on. Jesus can heal anyone and everyone and deliver them even from demonic oppression. She replied, that's true, Lord. Even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. Do you know what she's saying? She's saying, look at me, don't miss this. She's saying, I don't want to take anything from anybody else. I don't want to take Kyra's blessings. I don't want to take Bill's blessings. I don't want to take Danny's blessings. But she's saying, Jesus, if they get a full meal and I get just a crumb, it is enough to set my daughter free. Faith like a mustard seed can move a mountain. And that's what you're seeing, right? This, is, this woman has incredible and, for us, immortal faith. We will be talking about, I want to meet her when I get to heaven because this is such a powerful story. Well, let's take in real quickly and go through some growth work on this. First of all, Jesus works in everyone's life differently. Jesus works in everyone's life differently. The healing that Jesus brought into my body is totally different than what he's done in everybody else's life. Remember the story we've already read about in our, in our uh, series on Mark so far? Remember the woman with the issue of blood? She pushed through the crowd and she touched the hem of Jesus' garment. She could feel in her body that she'd been healed of her terrible condition. Remember the story of the men who dug through the roof of the house and lowered the paralyzed man in front of Jesus? These are the kinds of stories we need to remember. Jesus doesn't, one time, take this. Can you imagine if somebody came down to the altar to be prayed for and I spit in their eye? I mean, that's what Jesus basically did. He spit, made some mud, and stuck it in their eyes, you know. You'd probably say, oh, no, if that's the way healing's got to come, I'll stay blind. <laughs> Yo, see, there's what God is looking for. That kind of humility that says, I'll take it. This week, I got a call from, I've told you the story before, but I got a call of, about a, a miracle that took place years ago. 
And uh, they said, can you tell us about that? And I said, yeah, and here are the pastors you can call to confirm it. And, and um, I said, it was one of those times, I said, it's nothing about me. It was nothing about my faith. I, didn't, I was so tired, I didn't even want to do it. I was like Jesus. I just wanted to go somewhere where nobody knew I was supposed to be. But I had a standing obligation and commitment. And the Lord just showed me that night he was going to heal this woman. And he did. And I was so tired and so faithless. Two weeks later, I called back to see if she was still well, if she was still healed. And said, so it's the talk of the town. The newspaper has even done a story on it. Jesus can heal and do and, and deliver everyone. But I've never seen him do it that way again. So don't try to put Jesus in a box. Second thing is read your Bible contextually. And I need to explain that for just a moment. Read these stories within the whole context of what we're looking at. Well, the whole story so far of what we're looking at, Mark. Because when you look at that, and you see that Jesus, look at He's dealing with the Pharisees in the first part, of this, uh, first part of this chapter. What do they say? Why do your disciples eat with unwashed hands? The religious police are out to get him. Okay? They're calling things unclean that Jesus never called unclean. And we talked about this last week, what goes in, you know, the mouth and, and that goes into the sewer. That's not what makes you unclean. It's what comes out of your heart. And so what was coming out of this, don't miss this, the Jews said she was, Jesus didn't say she was, but he's teaching her. He's teaching her because dogs were unclean. Go all the way back. He's already dealt with this several times, this, this cleanliness thing. And he says to her, basically, I can't take from the children and give to a dog. He's, that's what he's saying to this woman that begs. But her faith is so humble. It reminds me of what Mark 9.35 says. Jesus called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone, of everyone else. I want you to notice a couple of things here in addition. There's so much here. Her faith was greater than the disciples' faith. They're still, they, Jesus is going to do another miracle, and they're still not going to get it. Here is this Gentile woman whose faith is just absolutely amazing. Her faith just outshines the disciples. And they've been following Jesus. They've seen what Jesus has done. But they were still hard of understanding. Remember last week they called something Jesus at a parable when he said it's not a parable. But there's one other thing I want you to see here. And that is this mother's faith, this from Tyre, sworn enemies of Israel, the Syrophoenician woman, her faith, I believe, and when I say I believe, you can disagree, but I am really still right on this. This is a prophetic miracle of how the gospel is going to go to the Gentiles and it's going to spread around the world. Have any of you, since you've come to Jesus, ever felt him call you a dog? No. Have any of you ever felt that Jesus has rejected you? No. And he never, ever will. And the third thing, and then we'll close with this tonight. Let's be people who pray fervently, specifically, and in community. Fervently, specifically, and in community. In this same story in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 25, I love what she said. Lord, help me.
pleading again. Circle that phrase, pleading again. She worshiped, she pled, Lord, help me. Listen, some of you may have lost grandchildren or lost children tonight. Miracles happen when we keep praying for our children. Our children cannot get away from our prayers. Look at me. Our community cannot get away from our prayers. People who think they are so wise, people who are so sophisticated, people who, who've adopted the, maybe the philosophy of this world, there are children, maybe they're backslidden Christians, they cannot get away from the power and the effectiveness of our prayers. A demonized girl wasn't necessarily calling out for help. She had got into something that led to this sort of captivity in her life. And this mother would not let go of God. When you pray, you are covering your children in grace. And never, never, never give up. I can't tell you how many people just give up because of one little thing and stop praying. It goes back to what Bernard of Clairvaux was saying. It goes back to what Os Oswald Chambers was saying. We hit a wall, we, something is said to us, and we go, okay, maybe this is all God wants. Maybe this is all God wants. We have to keep praying. I told you Sunday morning about something that happened to me recently where I was praying about some things that we still haven't seen that I believe God wants to do in our community. And I was saying, Lord, show me how, show me this, show me that, and just digging in and praying. And sometimes when I'm by myself and like that, I can get a little louder because I'm so desperate. And it was like the Lord said, just settle down. Your job is to love me, worship me, and trust me. Love me, worship me, and trust me. She worshiped him, and then she asked him again, Lord, heal my daughter. Who are you praying for tonight? I wanted this is a little long, but let me read it, and we'll close with this from The Power of Prayer by R.A. Torrey. Torrey says, the day I came when I realized what real prayer meant, realized that prayer was having an audience with God, actually coming into the presence of God and asking and getting things from him. The realization of that fact transformed my prayer life. Before that prayer had been a mere duty and sometimes a very irksome duty. That may be for somebody in here tonight. But from that time on, prayer has been not merely a duty but a privilege, one of the most highly esteemed privileges of my life. Before that, the thought that I had was how much time must I spend in prayer. The thought that now possesses me is how much time may I spend in prayer without neglecting the other privileges and duties of life. Who are you praying passionately for? What are you praying passionately about? What have you said, God, I will not let go of you until I get an answer? Will you join me in prayer tonight? Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for your amazing grace and goodness to us. We thank you for this story, especially of this woman. Lord, in a part of the country, that the, a part of the world that the Religious people at that time considered unclean and had made all kinds of justification to themselves of why they shouldn't go. Lord, convict us. May we never shut the door on anybody. May we never, Lord, exclude anyone from hearing the good news. May we each and every day not only be talking to you about people, but talking to people about you. And Father, I pray that as we share the good news of Christ, as the Word says, that signs and wonders will follow as we pray. For it's in Jesus' name I ask.
Amen, amen, and amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Leave us a comment. Let us know that you're online and watching this evening. Love you much.